Welcome to the Chemist and Druggist podcast. This week, I spoke to the dietitian and British dietetic spokesperson, Nicole Rothband, to try to understand more about the recent headlines discussing both appropriate supplementation in pregnancy and the possible benefits of mass vitamin D supplementation. First of all, what is the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Okay, so the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist is fairly straightforward. A dietitian is able to practice in a clinical setting and dietitians usually work with people who have some sort of disease or clinical condition that requires some sort of dietary change to help with their recovery um, or to help manage their condition. Nutritionists tend to work with people who are well, who want to improve their nutritional status. Um, And so nutritionists tend to work more in a a sort of public health arena, although dietitians do work in public health settings as well. Um, And dietitians work in hospitals and in clinics. So that's basically the difference. Also, dietitian is a protected term, if you like. We're We're registered and regulated with the Healthcare Professionals Council, and we have to keep a portfolio of evidence of our continuing professional development and we have to prove that we um, are fit to practice so that we can be registered with the HCPC. I read on your website sort of that you, you've worked with healthcare professionals in the past and helping train them. So what yes. sort of training do you provide and who have you provided training for? We We'll provide training for health visitors, for healthcare assistants, for nurses, for pharmacists if they want it, and for doctors. And one of the areas that we do a lot of work in is educating the health visitors and nurses and GPs and doctors about specialist infant formulas for treating allergy, for cow's milk protein allergy. There are an awful lot of different extensively hydrolyzed formulas and amino acid formulas and more and more have been coming onto the market in the last few years and it's really difficult for people to keep abreast of what they all do and the differences between them and which one is the best one to prescribe um, for particular circumstances. So we do that sort of training um, We train in the hospital the nurses on nutrition screening and administering the right sort of sit-feed supplements. Quite often, supplements aren't treated as seriously as drugs, and I think that's a real problem in hospitals. They, They look like milkshakes, and they get treated like milkshakes a lot of the time, but they you know, they're uh, ACBS borderline substances. We have to make sure that they're prescribed and used properly and not just pulled out the fridge with the sticker, the patient sticker pulled off and given to a different patient, which quite commonly happens in um, on hospital wards. On that note, so in the pharmacy, we would quite often give out these supplements and it tends to have a as-directed um, sort of direction not so other than putting on the label what should you say to the patients who are taking these other than sort of follow your doctor's orders is there anything else you should add well we usually we usually tell them quite clearly when they're supposed to be taken we tend to only prescribe them once we've 
looked at fortifying their foods and getting them to try to eat more high energy foods, drink more high energy drinks. And when that fails, then we usually try to give them twice or three times a day, depending really on how, how much patients are eating. So we do an individual assessment of each patient. We tend to want them to be used as an, adju- an adjunct to a normal diet rather than instead of eating, but sometimes patients really can't eat. Um, and then we would use them to help them keep up their fluid intake, but at the same time, it's nutritious, it's high in energy, it's supplemented with all vitamins and minerals. So it's better than drinking just milk or water or juice if they have a sick feed supplement. And we usually tell them to take them once, three or four times a day, depending on what the requirements are. So it's very individually tailored. And we usually do tell the pharmacist or the GP how we want it prescribed. So it would be quite nice if that was put on the label to help the patient remember how frequently it needs to be taken. Because especially if a patient is unwell or somebody is caring for a patient is quite stressed and upset about their condition, accurate labelling on the prescription label really helps the patient and the carer. One of the things I was a bit concerned about is just if there, do you think there's mixed messages around vitamin supplementation in general? Well, there's, yeah, I think there is. I mean, there are mixed messages. There are mixed messages about nutrition in general as well. Um, there's so much information out there. People have no idea what's credible information and what isn't, and what's rubbish. Um, and anybody can do a podcast or, or write a blog or set up a website and give their opinion and that's why you have these celebrities doing incredibly well out of their detox programs and their chia seed bars or whatever it is that they (laughs) they produce and it's frustrating for us really because we we don't think people need to go to incredible extremes to eat healthily or to eat well Um, They can usually eat healthily and eat well by following a relatively normal diet and following the government guidelines on, for instance, eating um, five portions of fruit and vegetables a day and eating a couple of portions of fish a week, one of them being oily. And if people have a a well-balanced diet that follows government guidelines on healthy eating, there's absolutely no reason why people should need to take a vitamin or a mineral supplement unless they've got a particular problem. But quite a lot of information out there makes it seem like vitamins are absolutely essential for a healthy life. And they can be very useful and they can fill in gaps in people's diets, but they're not generally essential if you're eating a healthy, well-balanced diet. One thing I wanted to ask about was sort of recent headlines about multivitamin use in pregnancy. This is very common in the pharmacy, someone to go up the counter, buying a relatively expensive monthly pack of multivitamins specifically aimed and geared towards pregnancy. But the recent evidence has showed that these are a waste of time. Well, yes, this it was this new study um, from what was it? The Drugs Therapeutics Bulletin, wasn't mm-hmm. it, or something? The, from the BMJ. 
I think there can be uses for vitamins in pregnancy. One thing that really worries me is that people could misinterpret the guide, the, the what's been said in the article, and then stop taking their folic acid or their vitamin D. And it's essential that women that are planning a pregnancy take 400 micrograms of folic acid up until their 12th week of pregnancy. And if there are articles saying that it's not necessary to take multivitamin supplements, people might misinterpret that. And I wouldn't want that to happen. Also, we know that it can be problematic if women are deficient in vitamin D when um, they're pregnant and the the recommendation is for women to take 10 micrograms of vitamin D throughout their pregnancy and I would like to see women continue to do that as well. I think it's not essential to take other vitamin, vitamins and minerals unless we know that uh, there's an iron deficiency and quite often uh, pregnant women can be iron deficient. Also it's really important for women to be um, ha have enough iodine in their diet because the iodine is very important for cognition and neurodevelopment. Also, if people don't eat oily fish, um, it's quite useful for them to take a supplement of omega-3 oils because that's also important in brain and nerve development. So I think vitamins and minerals can be really useful in filling the gaps of a normal diet and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't dismiss them as completely useless. They don't necessarily have to have a clinical or therapeutic, a clinically proven therapeutic effect to be useful. But at the same time, if a woman is eating really healthily, a good balanced diet and is taking their folic acid in their vitamin D, it probably isn't necessary to spend a lot of money because the vitamin D and folic acid are very cheaply and easily available. And in fact, I think they're free for pregnant women. So it's not necessary, but I think each woman has to be treated as an individual. And it's a good idea for their midwife really to talk to them about how they do with their diet. You know, if a woman is throwing up the whole time because she has terrible morning sickness, then she will probably need a vitamin and mineral supplement throughout her pregnancy if she's unable to eat well. But a, a woman who's sailing through pregnancy and has a good appetite and enjoys her food and eats well probably won't need it. You mentioned their iron deficiency and obviously the woman will be ongoing visit, visits to her GP or um, midwife, but would a pharmacist have to look out for signs of iron deficiency to sort of alert mixed healthcare professional? I think if a pharmacist knows a particular customer well and can see that she's getting very, very tired in pregnancy, it could be that it's not just because it's quite hard work being pregnant. If she's looking a bit pale and washed out, then that could be signs of iron deficiency. And it might be worth possibly mentioning to her that it's worth going to get a blood test at either the midwife clinic or at, at the GP just to check because it is so common to be iron deficient in pregnancy. You mentioned there that pregnant women sometimes need to have a vitamin D supplementation. Mm -hmm. um, Again, in recent headlines, I've been talking about how 
there might be a need for everyone yeah. basically living in the UK during the winter months to take this supplement. Where does that came from, or is that is that even used to dietitians? Yeah, it's a new it's a new second report I think that's just come out, and I've actually been telling a lot of my patients for a very long time to be taking vitamin D. In fact, not just through the winter months, but through the summer months as well. So it's definitely not news to dietitians that um, vitamin D deficiency is extremely prevalent. Where I work, there is a very large ethnic community of um, South Asians whose skin darken on sun exposure, and they just don't manufacture in their bodies vitamin D as well as people that don't tan easily on sun exposure. But I think nobody really knows how much sun exposure is required for people to meet their vitamin D requirements. And I think it makes a difference how old you are as well. And so younger, fairer skinned people that get an opportunity to be outside in the sunshine quite a lot during the summer months probably won't need a supplement. However, if you have to cover up for religious reasons, if you don't go out very much because you're stuck in an office and you're not a particularly outdoorsy person and you tend to go from your office to your home and sit in front of your television or your computer um, or go to the pub and just don't get out much during daylight hours, then you almost certainly will need a vitamin D supplement. And even though I see children most of the time, but if their parent or carer is in a high-risk group, I will recommend that they take vitamin D if they're not already taking it. I will also tell them to tell all their friends and family to take vitamin D as well, because it's, it's not really necessary to get a test to check your vitamin D levels. It's, it's pretty well known that most people um, in high-risk groups will be deficient or at least insufficient in vitamin D. And in fact, I discussed this with our professor of public health and asked him if I should recommend people get a blood test because that's what I was doing. And he said, no, just tell them to take a supplement. It won't do them any harm and that it'll most likely treat a deficiency. The only trouble is, is that sometimes you see patients who are having vitamin D supplements but it's actually not enough and when you see when they have bloods done when they're in hospital and their vitamin D is checked it may not be deficient but it may still be insufficient um, and they may need more than just a, a normal um, supplement dose they may actually need a therapeutic dose to get their levels back up to sufficient and then maintain that with a regular supplement. What are the consequences of having deficient or insufficient vitamin D levels? Well, vitamin D is very interesting because it's not really a vitamin, it's a hormone. And it's involved with um, control of bone health, to teeth health. It's, it helps with the um, absorption of calcium. And if you're low in vitamin D, as, as a child you'll get rickets, as an adult you'll get osteoporosis... It's also now known that vitamin D is protective of heart health as well. And it's believed in some areas that the, the effect of statins in reducing cholesterol is actually exerting a vitamin D-like effect. So 
there's there's still a lot of research going into the effects of vitamin D, but it seems to be a very important um, hormone or vitamin in the body. And I think there is still more that we're going to be finding out about it. So for general good health, as well as definitely bone health, we know that vitamin D is very important. Um, and we do see in hospital um, children with with birth defects and their mothers have been deficient in vitamin D. Now, I don't know whether there's a causal relationship, um, but also quite often low birth weight children, tend, their mothers tend to be deficient in vitamin D as well. So I'm not quoting any studies here. This is just my experience of working in a hospital. And I think we will find as more research is done that vitamin D is even more important than we realise at the moment. We're talking about people maybe taking supplements and they weren't that expensive. You can get quite a lot for not a lot of money, but should we recommend that people buy them or see their doctor and try to get them prescribed regularly? That's a really interesting question. I think if people can afford it, it would probably be best for them to buy them simply because I don't think really that the NHS can afford for vitamins and minerals to be prescribed for everybody. Um, I think for people that can't afford them, then of course they need to go and see if their GP will prescribe them. I mean, for pregnant and lactating women, you can get vitamins, the vitamins that are required free anyway. And also for children, vitamins up until the age of five, if the parents are on benefits, they can get the healthy start vitamins, which are free as well. So I think for groups that need them and can't afford them, yes, they should go to their GP. But I think for people that can afford to buy them, it's probably sensible to buy them because they're generally not very expensive. There are more expensive brands available, but you don't need to go for the most expensive brand. You know, I, th I think it's important for people to not rely solely on the NHS to provide what they need, because if they want something that's actually more critical for their health, that's a lot more expensive, they would probably rather the money was spent on that than doling out vitamins to everybody that couldn't actually afford to go and buy them. You described this sort of the need for supplementation in children. When would you recommend, so obviously it's up to age five, you can get the healthy start pouches. Mm -hmm. When would you recommend, or in what situations would you recommend that children or infants or toddlers would get supplements? Okay, well, the Department of Health advised that all children from the age of six months if they're breastfeeding or if they are taking less than 500 mils of infant formula milk up until the age of five years should be having a vitamin supplement that contains at least vitamin A, C and D. Uh, the Healthy Start vitamins provide that. There are vitamins on the market that are fairly cheap to buy over the counter and I would always recommend to parents if their child is taking less than 500 mils of formula milk or they're six months old and still breastfeeding to take a supplement of that nature. I quite often explain the, the guidelines to them because people just aren't aware of them. And 
I want them to understand the importance of it, that it's not just me saying it, it it's a government guideline. I wanted to ask about the risks of having too much vitamins, and obviously that's referring to fat-soluble vitamins. Yeah, well it's actually very interesting you should ask me that question, because it was one of the things I wanted to say about vitamins in pregnancy as well, that the vitamins in pregnant, for pregnant women will specifically not have vitamin A in them because excess vitamin A can cause, not vitamin E, but vitamin A can cause uh, birth defects. And if people think, well, I don't need to take a pregnancy vitamin, but I'll just take this cheap vitamin, you know, sort of over the counter that I can see, it will almost certainly have vitamin A in it. And you really don't want pregnant women taking vitamin A supplements. So that's another reason why if women are going to take a vitamin supplement in pregnancy, it ought to be um, specific for pregnancy. Um, and we know that vitamin A is the most concerning vitamin if you have um, excess of it, because quite a long time ago now, there was a study looking at um, the benefits of vitamin A in lung cancer patients. And unfortunately, they discovered that when they were supplementing people with vitamin A, they were developing, there were more cases of lung cancer in those patients. So I think one of the things we learn from studies like that is that vitamins tend to work in synergy with what's going on in the body. They are very important part, parts of metabolic pathways. And if you over supplement one vitamin and it has an, a, a limiting effect on a metabolic pathway where another vitamin is deficient, then you can, you can come into significant problems. And that's actually why it's really important if you're going to take a vitamin supplement that it's properly formulated and well balanced so that you don't have any of these problems with over supplementation. Also, there's very interesting debate that's been going on for a very long time about supplementation of foods generally with folic acid. And the reason that it, it's not gone ahead in this country is because that can mask in older people B12 deficiency and um, B12 deficiency can cause neuropathies. So it's quite important to understand the roles that different vitamins play with each other. There are benefits to women who of childbearing age of having sort of general supplementation of foods with folic acid, but it is a problem for elderly people because it's usually the elderly that suffer from B12 deficiency because they get deficiencies in intrinsic factor, which is helpful in absorption of B12. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know about vitamin supplementation? Yeah, I'd, I'd like them to know that dietitians know quite a bit about nutrition and supplements um, and vitamins in general, and that if they have questions or anything they're not sure about, that it is worth contacting their community dietetics um, service in their area to ask for advice if there's something that they're not sure about. Dietitians, although we're very busy, are generally very happy to advise and share our knowledge wherever possible. 
and even when we're working in a clinical setting in the hospital if it's if you're a hospital pharmacist it's very easy to pick up the phone and have a chat with a dietitian if you don't bump into them on the ward just to discuss any questions that you have about vitamin supplementation. Another concern Nicole mentioned was regarding a supplement for children which is commonly used in hospital which has high levels of vitamin A. It has great uses on the neonatal unit for children who have retinopathy and prematurity. However, once a child has been discharged, they needn't be on a supplement with such a high level of vitamin A. It is worth checking vitamin prescriptions which have high levels of vitamin A and check with a doctor if it is indeed suitable. That was Nicole Rothman, spokesperson for the British Dietetic Association. If you're interested in improving your clinical knowledge, check out Chemist and Druggist CBD package Update Plus. Thanks for listening.